You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I, I was uh, thinking about it as I was walking up here. I, I really don't have anything all that elaborate to share with you today, but I do want to share with you just a simple gospel message. In my mind, the image is like this. Think about a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. There's not much to it, is there? You guys have that image in your mind, that little twig of a tree with just a, a couple ornaments on it, but you can see the whole thing. It's clear, and you know that it's Christmas. Sometimes I think we look at, at a Christmas tree. I've been to a few places where the trees are just jam-packed, can't even really see what's going on. It's too busy. So today what we have is a very simple, unadorned message but the exact kind of message that we need, that our hearts need, reminders of what this season is all about. As I was sitting down there looking at all these beautiful lights, uh, our team of ladies that put all this together, it is beautiful in here. What a beautiful season we have. Amen. And, and, and it is. It's wonderful. My family and I last night, we went and looked at some Christmas lights. It's just a special time of year. And it's so special. And, and time with family is so good that sometimes we forget that it's really all about Jesus saves. It's all about him coming to save us. And so today, that's what I want to talk about is that Jesus is the Savior of the sinful. And so if you will, we're going to read the same passage that we read last week, which is in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to uh, get that Bible out, stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word. And let me just say, I see most of you have your Bibles or you have your digital copy. You know, I've been thinking about how we put these, these slides up on the screen. I don't want that to turn you into a lazy Christian. I want you to have your Bibles with you. I want you to realize that it's right here. As we're preaching from the Word, we're coming from the Word of God. We're going to hear what He has to say, not just what we have to say. Let's listen to this Word. Let's open our Bibles. Let's dig in and let it wash over us. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here's one of our key verses for today. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this word, simple though it may be, will have a bright light shining in our midst today. That God, we will understand how great you are and how much love you've poured out on us in the giving of your son. Jesus, thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for saving us. And so today, Lord, we want to celebrate that if we are Christ followers, but we also want to proclaim it to a world 
that is lost and hurting. God, we want to preach your word. We want to teach your word, not just here in Springfield, but around the world. Help us take this simple message to all the nations. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Emotions. We all have them. Some of us don't mind expressing them. Some of us try to hide them. Of all the emotions that I can think of, the one that I would argue is the most powerful and poignant is that emotion that we've deemed love. Love is a a word in English that has a multiplicity of meanings, so many meanings, in fact, that I think we lose track of what it really is. But I want you to think about love for just a moment and what it means to you. And for a second, I don't want you to answer out loud because it'll get really confusing, but if you were to answer this question, how would you answer it? And the question is simple, uh, what is the opposite of love? Now, most of you pretty quick, you're going to think hate. That's an obvious answer to the question, what is the opposite of love? Hate seems to be the obvious answer, but not too long ago, I was reading along and an author challenged me, can't even remember where I read it now, um, and said, no, actually hate is another emotion, and it is very much different than love, but the opposite of love is actually apathy. It means that you just don't care. Now let me say this to you. As we think about Christmas and the fact that God sent his only son, when we look at the world around us, and today it is not hard to identify fallen elements of the world, sinful entrenchments in the world and in our hearts, we look at the world and we say, it would have been so easy for God to just destroy us and start over. It would have been so easy for him to just leave us to our own designs and let us just literally kill one another. But God is love. And since he is love, that means he has zero apathy. That means there is no way that he's going to leave us as we are to destroy ourselves or to be destroyed. If you want to know the ultimate example of God's love, it is the coming of Jesus. The advent is, in my view, the ultimate expression of God's love for us. Man, that is a Christmas present. Par excellence. That is as good as it gets And here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, we have this beautiful statement that gives us the focal point of the Christmas story, which is basically the world needs a Savior. I saw somebody the other day had a series on Christmas talking about Jesus saves Christmas. That's exactly right. Jesus came to save us. And yes, he can save Christmas too. The fundamental problem that we face, though, is we come back down to earth. We've been talking about God's love. We've been talking about these cosmic ideas of God's love and the fact that God sent his only son to be with us. But when we get back down on earth, the fundamental problem is our sinfulness. And our sinfulness does some, some strange things to us. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But, but, but let me say this. I believe that our sinfulness 
um, in many ways, what we tend to do is we overestimate our ability to be good and do good. People don't think they need God in the world today, and let me tell you why. Most people don't think they need God because they really don't view themselves as sinners. And if you don't need, if you don't think that you need salvation, why would you ever seek it? I think that's one of the biggest problems with the lost world today. We've, we've allowed other people to say, other voices to say that we're all good. And, and even when we're not all good, we're, we're mostly good. But let me ask you this. Is a perfectly holy God satisfied that we are mostly good? He is holy and he is righteous. And he is not going to tolerate mostly good. When you're in heaven, you're not going to be there because you are mostly good. You will be in heaven because the blood, the perfect blood of Jesus covers your sins. That's what it's all about. And here are these verses. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's as good as it gets. Christmas is a beautiful season, but it is also a season of a thousand distractions. Let's get past all of that and answer three questions. And each of you need to, in a satisfactory way, answer these questions. One, what is sin? Two, why do we need to be saved? And three, how can I be saved? Let's take a look at this today as the gospel of Matthew leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ. What is sin? What is sin? Well, let's look at verse 21. As I told you, it's the main focus of our time together here this morning. And Matthew 1.21 tells us that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Now, now here's what I like to do. As you have your Bible open, there's a lot of really good, rich words there in that verse. But I want to bring your attention or focus your attention on one little word, the word from. Look at that. Do you see it in the text? from. It says, from their sins. We will be saved from our sins. One commentator says that this little word personifies the concept of sin. Another way to look at it, it is as if sin is an enemy combatant. Okay, can you just imagine like in the old days if you're in a, a sword fight, so the uh, sin is like a swordsman that you're facing and, and you are defending yourself from his onslaught. And what the enemy is trying to do as we look at not just this passage, but all of scripture, the enemy's sin is trying to enslave us if it can, but to kill us ultimately. Sin is like an enemy combatant that wants to put us into slavery and eventually kill us. That's what sin is. But notice also in verse 21, that it's people. Notice it's about people, for he will save his people from their sins. So Matthew one twenty one makes it clear that sin is a people problem. Are you following me? It's a people problem. Now, if we want to talk about sin in some universal sense, that there's this dark force in the world that's out there, you know, the enemy is perfectly fine with you thinking of sin in the abstract. In other words, that's what other people do. But what if sin is not just a people problem, but it's a you problem and a me problem? Well, that's exactly what 
We are told here in Matthew 121, yes, the cosmic idea of sin and darkness is defeated on the cross, but here's what's even better. The sin in your heart can be defeated by Jesus. That's even better. It, it brings it down to where we are. His people here in Matthew 121, if you'll notice that, his people in this context refers to the Jews. But later on in Matthew's gospel, we see that this extends to the Gentiles, that Jesus came to save the world, that Jesus came to save all nations, all of us, anyone, no matter what background. Why do we go on mission? Because every tribe and tongue needs to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would be crazy to think that, that Christianity is just a Western concept. Uh, people like, to, and even in academic circles, like to pretend like that is so. Listen, it started in the East. It's for all people. This message of salvation isn't specific to a creature, to a, a, a creed or a culture. Um, it is, it's, it's relevant to everyone. You need it. We need it. Sin, though, is a problem. The word here, many of you have heard it before. This is nothing new. If you've heard even one sermon that, that dealt with sin, you've heard of the Greek word harmaterion, which is the word for sin. It means missing the mark. It's the picture of a, a person drawing back the bow and shooting the arrow. There's a target he's aiming for, and the arrow falls short. That's what it means. But let me tell you something else about this word sin. It's a word that finds its way into other Greek words. In fact, that word, hamartirion, finds its way into the middle of the word in Greek for madman, for madness. So let me just put it to you plainly. Sin is a people problem, but sin is also just stupid. Is that plain enough? You know, we can talk Greek or we can talk English. Okay, how about English? Sin makes us stupid, look stupid, act stupid, do stupid things. Now, I, I know that word is, you know, with the little guys, we're not supposed to say that. So if you're here today, don't use that word. Don't tell people that they're stupid. But I, I think one of the best things in the world for an individual, okay, don't call other people stupid. But when you do a stupid thing, just say, I'm being stupid. You wouldn't believe how many marriages that would save. You wouldn't believe how many jobs that could preserve. You wouldn't believe how many relationships that would restore. When we admit that sin is stupid, we are on to something. And this passage tells us about this word sin, and we know that it is madness. And, and look back at those sins that have gripped your heart. And if you are honest, you will admit that you just were not thinking clearly when it happened. Sin truly is a word that represents that dark corner of our hearts where we know that something is wrong between us and the universe. Oh, friends, in the Bible, this concept of sin is more clearly connected to how we dissociate from the law of God. Look at the Bible and you can see that God has spoken. He has given us a word. So we say, okay, Jeremy, I'll admit that there's this thing called sin in the world, but who gets to decide what's right and who's wrong? Are you going to stand up on the, on the platform and tell me? Are you going to give me your opinion? Listen, I have plenty of opinions, but I've got something even better. The word of God. When we ask the question, what is a sin? We have to immediately 
humble ourselves before the Word of God. The law of God is good and righteous and true. And if we choose to do the opposite of what God's Word tells us to do, then that is sin. That is sin. Some people don't think they have a big problem with it. But Genesis 6-5 tells us that every intention of the thoughts of man, his heart, was only evil continually. This is back at the beginning. Genesis 8.21 puts it bluntly as well. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. If anybody thinks this isn't a problem that they have, then they're not being honest about their own hearts. Everything in this world that is opposed to God is sin. So we've said that sin is a people problem, it is stupid, and it's anything that is opposed to God Today, when, when people try to tell us that we are missing the mark, that we're just not keeping up with the times, that we are culturally irrelevant, here's what we have to say. We believe that God has spoken, and we are not going to compromise on what He has said. And you can tell me that I'm wrong, and I will still love you and appreciate you, but that doesn't mean I have to agree with you. We do not need to bow down before the voices of political correctness. We do not need to bow before the echoes of the common wisdom of our age. We need to stand on the solid rock of God's Word. And we need to be unapologetic about it. Amen? We have to. Because everything in the world that is opposed to God is what sin is. Man deserves to be shunned by God. But Jesus came to rescue sinners. John the Baptist saw it first in John 1.29. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. He did. Let me give you one more element of this idea of sin. It's a problem that must be taken out. It's the opposite of pure reason. Now, this goes back a little bit to the idea of sin being stupid, but I want you to realize that sin is the antithesis of the good. In fact, sin is the mark of the beast on your heart. It's satanic. It's not good. It has no good purpose. It permeates the fallen world. It has penetrated your heart. And the only way that it can be removed is by the power of the blood. We need deliverance. So that brings us to this second question. Why do we need to be saved? I think I've made it pretty clear, so I'm going to be a little short here. But I want you to realize that it is obvious, isn't it, that we are sinful all the way down to our DNA. All the way down to the very code that makes us. When we look down at the code that is DNA, scientists tell us that there will be breaks. And there's a breakdown here and there in the code. And that causes sickness and disease and genetic problems. I am of the opinion that God is letting us see down deep into our DNA to show us that sin has broken us as deep as it gets. And and though we are going to still die in this world, there is something that God can do that transforms us. And though our sins may be as numerous as the grains of sand on a vast beach, isn't it good to know that every single one of them, when covered in the blood, is held against us no more? What an awesome truth. But we still, we need to be saved. 
we have a radical sin problem, and praise God, God sent a radical sin solution in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Human strength has never been enough. The psalmist knew it. Read this later if you want to. Psalm 33, 16 through 22. Even the king can't win the battle without help from the Lord. It's all about the power of God. Salvation is not something that we can just dream up or figure out. It's something that the Holy Spirit brings. And let me tell you what's good about that. Whoever you can imagine as the most wicked and vile of sinners, no matter how terrible they are, if Jesus is the force behind salvation, that tells me that every soul can be saved because he is not limited like you or me. When I witness, I fail. But when Jesus works, he never fails. And the crazy thing is, he keeps using me and he'll keep using you as that witness. Listen, friends, he's not asking for a perfect witness. He's just asking for a witness. He's not asking somebody who can get all their facts straight because I don't know anybody that can. This mind that we have is fallen. It's not perfect. But the mind of God is perfect. And he can work through us because we need Jesus. Now, very quickly, this name Jesus in verses 21 and 25, you all know that it's it's this common name. It's actually like the most common name that any Hebrew parent could name their child. And you can see why. It means Yahweh will save. That's what it means. Or, oh, save Yahweh. It's like the like if your parents are the church-going kind, you're going to name your kid Jesus if you're a Hebrew, okay? If you're a synagogue-going, God-loving person, Jesus is a good name because you're saying with the name of the child that you believe in the salvation of the Lord. But the reason why this name is so important is because it tells us a very important truth. We need the Lord. Now, very quickly, I'm going to put these verses up so you can read them later. But I don't have time to read them all to you now. But listen to this. People have always needed the Lord. Jeremiah, he looked forward to a day when people would experience with God a new covenant. And that God would provide forgiveness for the iniquity of their sins that they may be remembered no more. That's Ezekiel 31, 31 through 34. And Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 31 Ezekiel also saw a day coming when sinners would be sprinkled clean from their uncleanness and delivered from their iniquities and abominations. This required a heart transplant. That's what it says, basically. We need to go from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God promises in Ezekiel 37, 23, that he will deliver his people from their sins. His people they can then say that God is their God. Ezekiel says this. Jesus may be a common name, but it is the name above all names. All who are in rebellion against God, those who have a sin problem, those who are acting in a way that is is so irrational, it doesn't matter. If we will lean into Jesus and trust in Him, we can be saved. Now let me say again, Every single person in this room, if you haven't been saved, you are in desperate need of salvation because you have the darkness of sin inside of you. So that brings us to how can I be saved? One scholar by the name of Brown says the goal of the gospel is salvation. 
Those four Gospels that God has given us, all four of them tell us a lot about the life of Jesus and the history of the church. But I'm here to tell you, those aren't history books nor biographies. Let me tell you what those books are. Those are books leading you to the foot of the cross, leading you to the realization that you are a sinner, uh, helping you see how desperately you need salvation in Jesus. Acts 4.12 tells us this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now let me tell you what that means. That means that if you admit that there is sin in your life and you say, I do need deliverance, Acts 4.12 is telling us that there is only one way to experience that, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way to do this. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, according to 1 John 3.5, appeared to take away sins because in, in Him... There are no sins. Matthew 20, 28 puts it this way. Jesus himself, even as the Son of Man, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We started out today by talking about love. And I ask you the question, what is the opposite of love? And and I said that a common answer is hate. Another answer could be sin itself. Sin itself is the opposite of love. But ultimately, I still stand by what I said, that apathy is the opposite of love. Let me say this to you, and I want you to hear it very clearly. Some of you have maybe heard this a thousand times in your life, but I want you to hear it clearly this morning. You are loved so much by God. You are greatly loved. And God sent His only Son for you. That's John 3.16. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, you might think that a dead giveaway, that you are lost. If you're here today and you say, well, you know what? I don't, I'm not a hater. I'm not a person who's out there trying to just indulge in every sin. I think I'm okay. I may not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, but I'm going I'm to argue with you, Pastor. I think, I'm a, I think I'm okay. If there's a heaven and there's a God, I think I've done enough that, that if all things are considered and everything is fair, I'm okay. Well, let me just say this. The most dangerous thing, the most obvious sign that something is broken in your heart is that when it comes to the things of God, you just really don't care. Now, let me say this. Over the years, as a pastor for a quarter of a century, I've had people ask me questions like, Pastor, how, how do I know if I'm saved? Well, let me say this to you. If you care, if you care when your heart is convicted that you've done something wrong, if you know that that is a sin against God, that is a really good sign that the Spirit of God is within you. But here's what's scary. I think there are a lot of people who come to church 
and they just don't care anymore. They don't think about God. They don't consider their sin. We come to church maybe because a spouse tells us to. We come to church because culturally that's what we're used to. But if we were honest about where we stand with God, the truth is it's been a long time since we cared about much of anything, especially the things of God. Why is it that people who are on the church rolls quit coming to church and don't come back maybe ever? Because they just quit caring about it. What is the opposite of love? It's apathy. And isn't it good to know that Jesus, he loves you, and he was not apathetic about your condition, and he actively sought you, he actively came, he proved his love, and that he became flesh and dwelt among us. God is not apathetic toward you, but are you apathetic toward him? The heart that never thinks of God. The heart that is so focused on the ways of the world, jobs and family and busyness and this and that and the other, that heart is in the gravest danger. Matthew 26, 28. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Those are the words of Jesus. Do you hear that? Jesus is looking at himself and he's saying, the blood that is flowing through my veins, this is for you. If that doesn't move you, then you are in grave spiritual danger. I want you to care about it because here's the most wonderful news of all. God cares for you. And he came and bled and died and rose again so that you could experience salvation. What a beautiful truth. But will you receive it? Let's pray. But this isn't the conclusion of our time. This may be the beginning of eternity for you. If down deep inside you know that you have just not cared for way too long, it's time to let the Spirit move. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.